Good morning, Woodmont, and welcome to worship uh, on this Sunday morning. Uh, Two quick things before we uh, begin the sermon. The first is we have a new series starting Wednesday night uh, sponsored by Lauren and our Young Professionals group. It's called Five Thoughts About Marriage. And um, we're going to bring in three uh, uh, therapists via Zoom uh, to share their best advice about relationships and marriage. And so uh, it's still not too late to sign up for that. Uh, We've got a great uh, registration so far, but that begins this Wednesday, uh, which is the 14th at 630. We'd love for you to to be a part of that. Of course, the Bible studies continue on as well with Rubel uh, and with Beth. I also just want to say, uh, since we've now made it through uh, one quarter of our church year, I want to again say thank you. Uh, Thank you for continuing to support the church during this time. Thank you for your generosity. Um, Thank you for allowing the ministries and mission of Woodmont uh, to keep moving forward. Um, I want to begin uh, by saying thank you. Would you join me for a word of prayer? Loving God, open our hearts and minds that we can hear a word from you, that we can grow. And may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. You are our rock and you are our redeemer. Amen. When I first moved to Nashville in August of 2007, I was 27 years old. So it was a little bit over 13 years ago. Um, and I'd been called to be the senior minister uh, of this congregation at a, at a very young age. Um, It was surprising to me that I was called at that stage of my life, but I felt like I was up for the challenge. But I moved to Nashville, and I got settled in, started working here at Woodmont. One of the first things that I did was I reached out to other ministers in this town who had been serving large congregations for a significant period of time, and I asked them, I said, what is the best advice that you would give me as I start this new chapter. And I received some incredible wisdom from uh, other ministers in this town. Uh, One person said, don't forget the importance of self-care and taking days off, because a lot of ministers will end up working on their days off, which isn't a good thing. Somebody else said, don't forget to maintain healthy boundaries, which is related to the first one. A Methodist minister said, don't let praise go to your head and don't let criticism cause you to fall apart. And that was one of the best pieces of advice uh, that I've ever received. It was from Peter Van Eyes when he was serving next door at Calvary Methodist. Another one said, don't ever neglect regular time that you need for reading, studying, and sermon preparation. Because when you preach and teach on a regular basis and you write, you have to continue to feed your soul so that you have something to pour out and to give. And that also includes studying scripture. But hands down, of all the advice that I received, the most common uh, piece of advice that I got from these veteran ministers was make sure that you maintain your own prayer life and never stop growing in your own spiritual life. And clearly those things are are tied together. And at the time, I'm not sure that I fully appreciated those words, but now, over 13 years later, I completely understand what they were talking about. I've had many people this year, with everything that's been going on, 
confess to me that they feel like their prayer life and their spiritual life has, has slipped, that it's, it's been neglected, that they, they haven't been to church in a long time, that they haven't been to worship in a long time. And, and even more so than that, they feel like they're not carving out time in their life to pray and to be still and to be centered. And so what happens when we neglect our prayer lives and we neglect time for spiritual growth and time to be quiet is we run out of energy, we run on fumes, and we burn out very quickly. Think about your phone. If you have an iPhone or a smartphone, uh, I got my phone uh, a, a few years ago. When I first got this phone, I could charge it at night, and that charge would last for the entire day. But as I've had this phone for a few years, and I think Apple might do this on purpose, I now have to charge this phone two or three times a day to get through the day. And I think that that's kind of the same deal with prayer. That if we don't pause a couple times a day to pray, to reflect, to be still and quiet, our batteries will run out of energy. Our souls will will feel neglected. We will not grow the way that God wants us to grow. And so I look at that as a great metaphor for the power of prayer and how we need it on a regular basis and perhaps more than one time every day. As we continue our fall journey through this sermon series called Common Ground, and we continue through this most famous uh, pericope of Scripture in the Bible called the Sermon on the Mount, today we get to Matthew chapter 6. We've made it through Matthew 5. Today we turn to Matthew chapter 6. And as you read this passage, it becomes very clear that Jesus had a problem with the religious types in his day, the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And he doesn't hesitate on multiple occasions to call them out. He says, beware of practicing your piety before others in order to be seen by them, for then you have no reward from your Father in heaven. He says, whenever you give alms, whenever you you give offerings, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets so that they may be praised by others. One of the biggest criticisms of Christians and Christianity is that they can be, we can be overly pious and pretentious. We can put on a big show that makes other people wonder if we really are genuine about what we say we believe. You hear that all the time when people who are outside of the church or not Christians are polled. That's what they say is they're, they're too pious, they're, they're too pretentious. A few years ago, a a guy by the name of John Killinger uh, wrote a book called Outgrowing Church. Killinger was a pastor at some very prominent churches across the country. He also taught at Vanderbilt. He taught at uh, Princeton Seminary and a few other places. But in this book, Killinger talks about how hard it has been for him to go to church after having led multiple churches throughout his career. And actually, he voices a complaint that many pastors have who are now retired or who no longer find themselves in leadership and who are looking for a place of worship, Killinger voices how a lot of them feel. Basically, they, they don't feel like the church is living up to what it should be living up to. 
And one of the chapters in, in Killinger's book is called The Disconnect Between Jesus and the Church. And he says that he sees four basic areas where there's a disconnect. He says the church is moralism, the church is materialism, the church is lack of courage, and the church is lack of compassion. It's actually a pretty harsh critique that he levels in this particular chapter. He's not saying that this happens in every church, but it tends to happen in many churches. And since churches are made up of people, he is obviously saying that this is also a big problem with Christians. In terms of moralism or piety, he says today churches are almost invariably identified with excessive views on morality and defined more by what they are against than what they are for. Churches are depicted more often than not as societies of moral pretenders filled with lust and greed and envy and all the other deadly sins, and, and they're more afraid of, of others finding them out than of the actual sins themselves. He says, and this could certainly be argued, I think, that Jesus knew that there's a fine line between being moral and using morality as a means of judging other people. On the one hand, we're called to be moral. We're, we're called to, to do good, to live by certain principles. But if we use morality as a way to be overly pious and we use it to judge other people, that's a very slippery slope. So he talks a lot about grace and forgiveness. He talks a lot about loving others in, in, in spite of their behavior, encouraging people to accept and embrace each other instead of accusing and convicting each other. Jesus inverted morality to show us what it really is to love his little ones, to love our neighbor the same way we love ourselves. And Killinger thinks that too many churches resort to judgment instead of love on a regular basis. Now, in terms of materialism, Killinger quotes Brian Sanders from his book called Life After Church, where he says, we dream of a church that takes the prophetic stand against all kinds of evil, not only spiritual, but also societal. All sin and injustice is the enemy of the church and the kingdom of God. In word and in deed, the church has to begin with itself by confronting its sin of materialism. Jesus spoke out in the Sermon on the Mount against materialism and the dangers of being obsessed with money and wealth. And I do think that excessive materialism and a false sense of security is perhaps one of the or the greatest challenges that the church in North America faces. I think that as individuals, we are called to always wrestle with it, even though it makes us uncomfortable to talk about money and uncomfortable to talk about how we use our money. Remember, money makes a great servant, but it makes a terrible master. And it's not easy because as human beings, we, we love our stuff. We, we, we get comfortable with our, with our things. But we should always be asking as we acquire more stuff, are we giving back and are we helping other people in the process? Or are we just keeping everything to ourselves? Are we defining our lives by what we 
can accumulate over time or by doing what we do and give away. You make a living by what you get, but you make a life by what you give. In terms of the church's lack of courage, Killinger says, Jesus was surely one of the most courageous people to ever live. He never flinched at speaking truth to power. Whether he faced some quarrelsome scribe or stood before the Roman persecutor. You see, the church and Christians are called to be courageous, even when it's not popular or easy. We're called to, to, to fight poverty, to feed the hungry, clothe the naked, house the homeless. We're called to fight bigotry and, and speak out against racism in all of its forms. We're called to speak out against injustice, to speak out for the marginalized, for the people that don't have a voice. We're called to advocate civility and human decency in a culture where that has been on a rapid decline for many, many years. In terms of the church's lack of compassion, Killinger says most ministers I know complain that there are cold and unfeeling people in their parishes, and, and some are even hateful and malevolent. He says, it never ceases to amaze me that the Christians who have read the Bible and listened to preaching and meditated over the bread and wine at the table of our Lord can be as vitriolic as some of them are, despising their ministers, reviling one another, striking out at the world, and generally behaving like total strangers to the gospel. You've heard me say before that there's more to Christianity than being kind, but I do think that it starts there. Being kind, being civil, treating all people with respect and decency. He says that he's often wondered how anyone can attend church on a regular basis, whether it's online or in, in person, how anyone could listen to sermons about Christ and the gospel and still remain utterly devoid of Christian love and compassion. Jesus was full of love and compassion, but we all know that this happens on a regular basis. Jesus didn't like the people back in the first century who acted overly pious and overly pretentious. He called them out. He calls them out in Matthew chapter 6. Being pretentious was once defined this way, having or showing the unpleasant quality of people who want to be regarded as more impressive, successful, or important than they really are. Simply put, being pretentious is being fake or pretending to be something that you're not. Being superficial, and there's a lot of superficiality in our culture. And when it comes to religion, when it comes to faith, there are lots of people who want you to believe that they are perfect. They want you to believe that they have it all together, that they know all the answers, that they have it all figured out. But the truth is, the reality is they don't. None of us have it all figured out. We all have problems and struggles. Life is not perfect on any level. I don't have to say that this year. So we need to make sure that we don't live pretentious lives, that we don't put up false fronts and pretend to be something or somebody that we're not. We need to be true to who we really are. We need to be authentic. We need to tell the truth. I think that starts with honesty and it starts with humility. I think admitting our flaws and our shortcomings 
and then making a conscious effort to, to work on them is important. But Jesus also says that a very important part of this process is learning what it means to pray and to pray on a regular basis. He says in Matthew 6, whenever you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners so that they may be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward. But whenever you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you're praying, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard because of their many fancy words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask. Pray this way, Jesus says, and then he gives us the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts, our sins, our trespasses, as we have also forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us into the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But Jesus says, if you do not forgive others, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. We say the Lord's Prayer in worship every week. But if we actually stop and reflect upon these words and how powerful they are and what they mean, we'll be moved by them. God, blessed be your name. Bring your kingdom to earth. Make your will happen on earth as it happens in heaven. Satisfy not just our physical needs, but our spiritual needs. Forgive us our sins and help us to actually go and forgive the sins and trespasses of other people. Keep us away from temptation in life. Deliver us from evil. Let's not just say those words, but let's understand what they mean and what we're praying for. But here's a question that I've been thinking about this week. This is a question that actually a lot of people think about on a regular basis. Does prayer really work? Does prayer really work? After all, haven't we all prayed for somebody who was sick with cancer only to watch them die? Haven't we all prayed for peace only to see a war break out? Haven't we all prayed for a, mar a marriage to be healed only to see a couple end up in, in divorce? There's so many times in life when we feel like our, our prayers aren't answered, when we feel like God isn't listening, we might feel like we are wasting our time. I can't sit here this morning and tell you why some prayers get answered and some prayers don't. Only God knows the answer to that. But what I can tell you is that I know that prayer works because I have experienced it in my life firsthand. I know that prayer works because I have seen it change and transform lives and relationships. I know that prayer works because I've seen it bring hope and healing in ways that nothing else can. Jerry Sitzer teaches out at Whitworth University, uh, an amazing uh, 
theologian who's written a number of great books. He wrote a book back in uh, 2003 called When God Doesn't Answer Your Prayer. It's one of the best books that I've ever read on the power of prayer, and there are lots of different books uh, on prayer. But in the book, Sitzer says, ultimately, God's greatest answer to prayer is far different from what we could imagine. It's not what God does for us that demonstrates His greatest answer to prayer. It's what God does in us. God wants to change us to his liking, not change the world to our liking. Sitzer quotes that famous passage from M. Scott Peck's uh, classic book called The Road Less Traveled, where Peck says this. He says, life is difficult. This is a great truth, one of the greatest truths. It's a great truth because once we truly see this truth, then we transcend it. Once we truly know that life is difficult, once we accept it, then life is no longer difficult because we know that that's a fact. Once it's accepted that life is difficult, then the fact that life is difficult no longer matters. And we all know this year that life is difficult for many different reasons and on many different levels. But here's the truth. We pray because life is difficult. We pray because we need to tap into the power of God's strength. We pray because we recognize that there are so many things in life that are simply outside of our control. And just because we don't get the answers that we want or the answers that we hope for does not mean that we should stop praying. In fact, perhaps what it means is that we should pray even harder and more regularly. Sitzer says, it's what God does in us through the power of prayer that matters most. It's what God does through us. And somebody once said that maybe in life we need to all learn to pray for stronger backs and not necessarily lighter loads. We haven't had a light load this year. It's been a lot, still is a lot. Mahatma Gandhi once said, prayer is not asking, it's a longing of the soul. It's a daily admission of one's weakness. It's better in prayer to have a heart without words than to have words without a heart. Just like Jesus said, what good does all the fancy words and doing it out in public to put on a show do if your heart is not in it? That's what the Sadducees and Pharisees do. Developing a healthy prayer life is important, and it's what Jesus calls us to do, and he gives us a prayer. Developing a healthy prayer life will give us compassion and courage. Developing a healthy prayer life will keep us from being pretentious and overly pious. It will keep us humble. Developing a healthy prayer life might just be the most important thing that we can do during a year like this. And without a doubt, without a doubt, we know that prayer works. The question is, are we doing it? Amen.